Hey there, welcome to Everyday Sublime. This is your host, Josh Summers, and it's always a pleasure and a real honor to have you here. In this podcast, I'm exploring what I try to refer to as a full-spectrum, integrally informed spiritual practice, particularly around the practices of yin yoga, qi cultivation, qigong, and uh, kind of a, a formulation of Buddha Dharma that I call yin meditation. And in this episode, I address or reflect upon the approach to practice that sometimes might be called deliberate slowness, how deliberately slowing down in your practice can really highlight and strengthen certain capacities of perception, certain capacities of attention, and um, I, it's just something that I found very helpful in my own practice. Um, before I give you the talk, I just want to say that this this podcast is uh, freely made freely available due to the generosity and support of the members of the Riverbird Sangha. This is the practice community that Terry and I uh, lead, guide, and facilitate, where we explore the one practice with many forms. The one practice being awakening the heart, mind, awakening our spirit, awakening our our, our, I should say, our spiritual potential as humans. Um, and we use the forms of yin yoga, qigong, qi cultivation in general, as derived from Chinese medical theory, um, and uh, tools and methodologies from Buddha Dharma, or the, the Buddhist teachings, the Buddhist dispensation on how to train our heart and mind. Um, if you'd like to participate in this practice community, and if you'd like to join us in this journey really together, do consider uh, becoming a member. There's a link for you in the show notes. We give you two weeks free, plus a free copy of my ebook. And I should add that your membership starting this fall will give you a, a steep discount on our on-demand yin yoga teacher trainings. Those include the foundations of yin yoga, which include the anatomy, the Chinese medicine, and the meditation practices of yin yoga, as well as our new trainings on qi cultivation. Um, so if you're interested in developing your teaching and practice with us, that's another opportunity. Our sangha is really, sometimes we call a we call it a, uh, a practice guild, a guild of teachers and practitioners learning together um, and, and evolving the practice as we go. And just one more thing, Terry's been trying to remind me to ask the listeners and the audience of the podcast for your support in a small way, if you're, if, if you're able. We would really appreciate if you would leave a review of the podcast assuming you like it. If you like the podcast, please review it in your favorite podcast app or on Apple uh, Podcasts. Um, and consider please sharing an episode with your friends. Your sharing and your reviewing go a long way to the health and sustainability of our show, and we're grateful for that support. Okay, so we look forward to practicing with you, and we appreciate your support. Without further ado, here's today's talk on deliberate slowness. So I suppose for the talk this morning, just the reflection, um, given that we're coming to a, a, a recess, um, given that uh, some members have shared with me that they are attending or participating in some kind of a meditation retreat around this time, whether it's at a center or doing a online retreat from home. Um, and given that 
the Sangha, as I have hinted at, is celebrating, is, will be celebrating its third anniversary in September. Um, all of that together has sort of gotten me thinking, reflecting more broadly around what are our core themes, what are our core practices, um, what are some of the, the the core topics that come up again and again in our conversations. And, and I want to review a little bit of what I've been thinking about, just share a little bit what I've been thinking about, um, and, and then try to direct these reflections or channel these reflections towards some pragmatic uh, meditation exercises or pragmatic meditational etudes that um, I'm hoping you'll be able to practice with and and playfully improvise with. And that's where I'll be sort of concluding around this theme of improvisation. But um, just broadly, and I, if, if anyone hasn't heard this before, I just want to try to speak to it. Um, I heard this years ago when I attended a retreat where the, the teacher said, if you think about a retreat day where you're meditating more or less in a continuous manner from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep. And that that meditation includes all of your activities, the periods of formal practice when you're sitting in meditation, the per periods of formal practice where you're walking in meditation. It includes those, but it includes getting your food, sitting down, eating your food, cleaning, clearing up your food, washing yourself, doing your your participatory yogi job or chore, walking, exercising, whatever it is you do, it includes everything we're doing. And the, the way the teacher put it, they said it, it's really one practice with many forms, one practice with many forms. And that's, that's a way that Terry and I have tried to articulate uh, sort of the spirit and ethos of our practice community, that it's one practice with many forms. Which begs the question, what's one practice? What's the one practice? And the one practice could be described uh, in different manners or different ways, but uh, two simple ways I might put it are that the one practice is awakening the heart, awakening the heart in terms of its sensitivity, its capacity for compassion and wisdom. And that can sound sometimes poetically captivating, the awakened heart. It can sometimes sound abstractly um, out of touch, like it did, you might not really have a sense, a clear sense of what that means. Um, and another uh, group of phrases that I've appreciated that I think speak to this um, one practice are three interrelated developments that occur in practice, which are the development of waking up, <clears throat> waking up to, uh, pause here for a second, waking up to a, a, a new way of seeing everything, a new way from which we relate to everything. It can be a, a very different uh, perspective on what a self is, all sorts of forms of uh, ways of characterizing waking up but 
Um, and that's what I was particularly drawn to in my early days of I just wanted to wake up. I wanted to become free of my own torment, my own misery. And along the way, I kept hearing other phrases associated with waking up, which include growing up, which is essentially a developmental process of maturation. And in the process of waking up and growing up, I also started to hear the phrase cleaning up, cleaning up, which is referring to the, the um, or cleaning up, the clearing up the, the 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 difficulty pain um unfinished business difficult karma that we all will from time to time create when we aren't awake there's there's certain kinds of karma that arise uh through our own ignorance through our through a misunderstanding through our misperception of things through a an obstruction of compassion in a way so these are the three sides of the one practice waking up growing up cleaning up and um in various ways we try to share practices that uh, speak to all facets or all sides of this process but the the tools we use the 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 practitioner's tools or the toolbox that we draw from, tend to focus on the tools of embodiment from yin yoga and qigong. And the embodiment includes uh, a, a cultivation and a, a refinement of our energetic perception and experience, um, which when they go well, when the, the, the body and energy are gathered channeled flowing and settled as terry and i were describing in the the chi cultivation training but when our bodies and energies are gathered channeling or channeled flowing and settled this brings about uh altered states or or non-ordinary states of consciousness that tend to re get referred to as samadhi states and samadhi uh the way i try to look at it uh, as you've heard me probably say, samadhi is a spectrum of pleasant, non-ordinary non states whereby our attention is gathered together in such a way that there's a powerful lens of clarity, a powerful crispness of perception, which brings with it a very different experience of self a very different perception of the nature of reality and the nature of self and so with these three practices the the the, the embodiment of yin yoga and qigong combined with the contemplative practices we do here on monday um, we're trying to terry and i are trying to offer a what we try to define as a low-key integrally informed I mean, low-key, it's not obsessive, it's not do uh, dogmatic, but a low-key, integrally informed approach to the process of waking up, growing up, and cleaning up. Integrally informed refers to, um, as I'll say more in the fall, um, but integrally informed refers to the philosophical framework and map that an American philosopher, Ken Wilber, developed. And 
this map tries to capture the the the, the, the central dimensions of existence from the individual to the collective to the interior to the exterior of individual and collective experiences but also tries to capture um i'm, I'm summarizing briefly here but the, the 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 developmental waves or levels of development that can occur for any individual um so th- in in revealing all that um and where i want to try to speak to today in thinking through the sangha's three years together and the um, the practices we've been exploring and the conversations we've been having, um, Terry and I recently have been having an ongoing conversation around what we feel like we can see as being some of the core values or core capacities that we're emphasizing that we're that we're trying to uh, put at the forefront of our particular approach to practice and you've heard me say before that in buddhism they refer to two wings of awakening the the awakening and this is part of where our bird name comes from the river bird but the bird of awakening has two wings to it the wings of compassion and wisdom and when the wings of compassion and wisdom, each wing is strong and balanced, it, the bird is able to take flight and experience freedom. So in our discussions, and ter- when Terry and I have been talking about this, we, we've we both named compassion and wisdom as being um, core values and, and core capacities that we are trying to speak and um, frame our, our approach to practice around. But two others that I think um, are important to name in conjunction with wisdom and compassion are resilience and improvisation. And the resilience piece, which I'll just speak to shortly here, is related to what um, sometimes in, in the yin yoga world and I'd say in other parts of the of discourse get referred to as the capacity for anti-fragility. Anti-fragility. And anti-fragility in brief, it just refers to any system that becomes stronger, more capable when it is appropriately stressed. So we we often talk about this in terms of our physical bodies and our physical tissues, that when we appropriately exercise, when we appropriately stress, or say our fascia, our connective tissue, our bones, or our muscles, or our neuroanatomy, whatever it is, when we appropriately stress it, the system that's being stressed, when given enough time to, to uh, rest and repair, it doesn't get weaker. It actually responds by becoming stronger become it reinforces itself and and becomes um, stronger which is a a form of resilience it's a form it's a that's a pattern of optimal resilience and and so we're we we look at that that the uh, dynamic of anti-fragility both at the physical level 
which is I think where we can maybe maybe we might be drawn to it at first. But when we apply it to the cultivation of our hearts, um, as I've tried to say before, meditation in a way is about um, cultivating the anti-fragile heart, the heart that is able to be open to life the way it is, whether we like it that way or not. And oftentimes we don't like the way it is. And we will encounter conditions that bring great pain to the heart that is sensitive. And, and those conditions are, are always going to be unique to our particular history, our unique history. But this is the fundamental condition of suffering or dukkha, showcased or, or highlighted immediately by the Buddha in his teachings, saying that when we learn to address the experience of dukkha, we don't shy from it, when we don't deny it, um, we don't smother it with any manner of addiction. We take it on head on. Uh, he discovered, or he re rediscovered, and, and many others have discovered this as well, a way to transform the experience of dukkha. Meaning we don't stop the pain of it, the sting of it. But in response to that stress, the practice, the dharma, the path of practice supports the conditions so that the heart can respond by becoming bigger, wiser, and more compassionate, more resilient in the face of these stresses. So resilience is a, is a theme that we... Uh, both Terry and I both very much value and, and want to try to address, um, particularly given what I tried to speak to last week, the amazing amount of overwhelm of personal and collective crisis that so many are facing. But the other, the other theme or the other core value um, that we feel is part of our expression of the Dharma here is the theme of improvisation. Um, and there are many sides or many aspects of improvisation that are uh, worth speaking to, and I can only speak to a couple of them here. But uh, improvisation on one level is a, it's a, it's a, I would say a virtuous value that we hold and it's part of our ethical framework of the Sangha. Because if, if that was absent, if the, the, the importance of improvisation were absent, if you weren't asked to be responsible for how you are playing with your experience, how you are engaging with your experience, if you weren't asked to be creative in terms of how you use the tools that we mention, then that could easily set up a, a culture of dogmatism or a culture of conformity or a culture of a cult even where we're all trying to do the same thing, conform the same way around a specific thing, trying to have the same results. 
And and that, as I think you can all imagine, um, creates up a pretty pretty um, dangerous learning environment, or at least a, a stunting learning environment. So improvisation is really at the on the foundational level of our philosophical pedagogy, our, our view of how to teach and 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 also how to practice. And so if you're new to the song or if you've been around, I, I, I want to try to speak to how our classes will uh, try to bring elements of practice to the forefront in each session and then suggest ways that you can practice improvising with this little bit of a, uh, say, a pattern of practice or a tool of practice or an approach to practice. And that over time, in working with, say, an etude of practice or a specific tool of practice for a while, you'll get a feel for it, a creative feel for it, so that you know how to put it into your repertoire of tools and know when it's a it's a helpful tool to pull out for yourself, when it's a helpful tool to put away, when it's helpful to pick up something else, when it's helpful to have no tools, but that you'll you'll find your way to the way that you are practicing. You'll find the way that you uh, meditate what how what your meditations are like um not not that they're always the same but just you get a feel for what your meditation process is like what your yoga practice is like and that's always going to be unique to you so improvisation um is both i wanted to say touch these two themes it's it's both a an ethic of safety in a way that that inoculates us from dogmatism and it's also uh, i think the way i feel about it is it's the approach that channels the dynamic of the energy of the practice most directly into your own experience and brings about ownership authenticity and um, hopefully creative enjoyment with your own practice. So that all said, the the practice uh, etude that I wanted to share today um, relates to uh, a form of practice or some tips of practice that I have received, um, particularly when I've been on a retreat. Um, and I, I share this for those of you that are approaching retreats yourself or currently on a retreat. Um, but really, this this approach will apply to any anybody, whether you're on retreat or not. And and I I hope that I'll be curious to hear what you notice when you try to integrate some of these 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 uh, approaches or these tools. So the broad theme of this etude is the pra- a practice of slowing deliberately, a practice of deliberately slowing down. And the idea behind slowing down is that, as my Burmese teacher would say, the slower you move, the faster your meditation will progress. And what he meant by that is the slower you move, the more detail 
the slower you move, the more vivid detail your awareness will start to see in real time. And this speaks to one side of the contemplative journey, and it's not the only side or even one of two sides. It's just one side of many, but one side of the contemplative journey involves developing capacities to gather our consciousness and to have our consciousness flowing and settled in the now, stable, or in a sense, stabilizing our consciousness relative to the content of what's coming and going within our consciousness. That's the way I would try to put it in a nutshell, that a large, large portion of one side, one facet of the contemplative meditative process is to gather and stabilize consciousness relative to sounds, thoughts, feelings, sensations, so that consciousness feels stable, is experienced as stable, relative to the moving content. And I mention that because so much of the time, you know, in, and I'm, I've been practicing, I don't know, over 20 years now, but so much still over much of the time when I meditate, my mind isn't stable. My consciousness isn't stable relative to the content. My mind is splashing around, thrashing around, flowing with, but getting knocked around by whatever's coming up. It's a very, like my mind gets enmeshed in things. And I assume and suspect that your mind does too. So that's normal, that your mind, you're going to notice your mind getting caught up in things. But it's possible to practice this stopping, steadying, stabilizing experience and to, to learn how to start to sustain that stabilized position of consciousness, that stabilized seat of consciousness relative to what's happening. And in my experience, most people, when they try to, they go on a retreat or they come to a meditation practice and they start to try to stabilize their consciousness, what happens is they tend to do it in a very rigid, dogmatic way, which leads to frustration. So frustration is the kind of the, the usual suspect of challenge that arises when this kind of a meditation etude is shared. And just for those of you that study with me in the, in the, the, the yin meditation trainings, what I'm getting at here is the stabilizing of consciousness really is a, a form of yang meditation. It's entering the meditation with a specific intention to do something specific, like to bring a, a, a specific kind of nudge to your perception again and again and again to nudge to nudge your awareness into a stable place from which you're watching what's occurring. That's very young. It's very different from just sitting back and being receptive and allowing whatever comes up to come up and allowing thoughts to come and go, allowing your thoughts, allowing yourself to wander with thoughts. So yin meditation, as I've 
described elsewhere is the foundation of relaxation that I think everybody, including myself, does well to begin whatever practice they're doing. But from that foundation of relaxation, what I want to suggest now is ways of practicing with a yang tool, an, an active dynamic tool or an intentional deliberate tool and just to see what that relationship between being relaxed is and what's it like when I try to bring my attention to my breath, for example, or my, my attention to my hands. So the, I, I just want to name the, the potential frustration, and this is where you'll have to improvise with the, with the tools I'm going to mention. If you start to find that in the course of engaging with either of the, the tools about to be mentioned, you start to feel tense or frustrated or impatient or self-critical, like, I can't do this. That's a sign that it's time to consider how we're holding the tool, how we're holding the practice. And it might make sense to just relax and be receptive, intend in, in, in to be receptive for maybe 30 seconds to a minute or more until that, that frustration starts to dissipate. But in the, in, in the, in terms of a practice of deliberate slowness, there are two tips or two, two mini etudes that I want to uh, sort of workshop or introduce you to today. One is what I will call walking hands practice walking hands practice and this is a a, a a kind of practice that is meant to mimic the dynamics of walking meditation without walking so if you're on a retreat and you and your time on the retreat is broken up between sitting and walking meditation you might not have to do this because you have time to do walking practice but if you're in a sitting like we're coming into, <clears throat> it can be nice to uh, have a little bit of movement and, and I, again, slow, deliberate movement to focus the mind, to steady the mind with before we go to bringing our awareness to the breathing. So we're going to come to watching the breath as, as part of the etude of the morning. But before coming right to the breath or sometimes while watching the breath, it might be beneficial to take uh, some time with this walking hands practice. So if you're familiar with walking meditation, the basic principles of walking meditation are to find two points, maybe roughly 15 to 20 feet apart, point A and point B, and then to slowly walk from one point to the other and back again. And the idea is that while walking, you're paying very close attention. You're bringing mindfulness, a very particular kind of mindfulness, but you're bringing close attention to the felt sense, the felt sensations that occur at every phase of the step, every phase of the, the foot lifting, moving, and being placed. Lifting, moving, placing. So you, the idea is that you slow down the walking 
to these different phases and then really tune into the sensations of each phase. Now, if we're sitting, the reason I'm calling this walking hands meditation, uh, what we can do is rest the palms on our lap. And I'm going to like have my hands floating here to mention, so to have it look like they're on something. But if my hands are on the on my lap, and you look at my hands, the practice would be just to slowly lift one hand up, that's lifting, turn the palm up just to give a sense of different sensation in the movement slowly, and then to place and turn the palm back down. And you do that with your right hand, then you lift your left hand up slowly, turn it, open it up to the ceiling, turn it back down and place it down. So what I want to suggest is that when we come to the meditation, try this three to five times, just slowly feeling, slowly moving, I should say, but feeling within the slowness, the, the detail, the subtle detail of sensation as the, as the palm comes up, as it turns and opens up towards the ceiling, and then as it slowly turns down. And then do it with the other hand, left and right, maybe taking five steps, not moving anywhere with your hands. So that's an etude. That's a little tool. You can do that. And I mentioned this, you could do this if you're on a, in, a, in a group retreat, if you're in a group Dharma hall. Um, this, this is a kind of tool that you can use that will not disturb anyone. It won't bother anyone. <laughs> you can do this with others. Um, but as Upandita, the teacher I, I worked with in Burma, would say, he, he compared walking meditation uh, to warming a car up before driving it on a cold morning. And and I, and I always appreciated that, that before coming to sitting, before coming to focus on the breathing or focus on thoughts and feelings and sensations, he felt that spending some time just tuning to the changing sensations of the feet as you walk warmed the mind like prepared awareness prepared attention to be able to track changing experiences and to capture the details of changing experiences moment by moment you could say in a way that's that's part of what the whole journey of wisdom is is to just stabilize awareness to really see in real time the changing details of moment-to-moment experience. So the walking hands is a really good tool for that. And it, um, I, I just, I'll add to this before I talk about the half breath technique in a second. I'll just add that walking meditation itself was something that it probably took me three to five years to really appreciate. Meaning for three to five years, I always thought walking meditation was an annoying break between periods of sitting meditation. I didn't like doing it. I got tired doing it. I felt like I was a walking zombie when I was in a group of people doing it. It it, it just wasn't... Um, I felt like I was just buying my time to get back on the cushion where the real magic was going to take place. Um, and 
Do I regret that perception? Yes. The reason is because I wasted a lot of time. And once I really started to appreciate the strength and power of walking meditation, and and particularly when I really understood how much walking meditation made my sitting meditation more pleasant, I, I, I started to revere it. And the reason, just say that the reason why the sitting became more pleasant was because the more fluid and adaptive the mind becomes, or as I said in the in the newsletter yesterday, the more pliable, the more pliable awareness comes to meet and literally walk over, roll over anything that's coming, the smoother your experience, the smoother the ride becomes. So it's when there's gaps, when there are gaps in our attention, gaps in our awareness, that's when challenges, you know, reactive mind states come in and can really boss us around so a steady continuous flowing malleable pliable ability to be attentive to changing detail is in a sense the preliminary condition for the development of meditative insight so once we get our hands walking and our our minds and bodies in sync then another very common tool that I know many of you know of is to bring awareness to the breathing, to, to bring the same level, the same quality and sensitivity attention that we had with our walking hands, but to transpose that and bring that to the feeling of breath. Now, I'm, today, I'm not going to speak where to watch the breath. You can feel the breath wherever you'd like, but what I'd like you to play with and improvise with is can you bring your full fresh attention to one half breath at a time this is the, the joseph goldstein tip that i got once where he said to settle back and hold the intention to simply be aware of one half breath at a time so from beginning to middle and end of the in-breath from beginning middle to the end of the out-breath Whenever you get to the end of the in-breath, whenever you get to the end of the out-breath, can you begin again like you've never done it before? Can you bring full, fresh beginner's mind to every new half-breath appearing? And as I tried to say in the newsletter, if you can hear, like anyone can utter that statement. Any teacher here can say, bring full awareness to one half breath at a time. And I also suggest anybody listening here can do it. Anybody can do it. That's the good news. When we hold this, the, 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 the process, when we hold the practice at such a small scale, anybody can do it. And if you can do one half breath at a time, if you can do one half breath of full awareness, you can do another half breath of full awareness. And if you can do two, you can do another three. Upandita would say one moment of mindfulness placed next, or one moment of mindfulness 
you would say, is a moment of peace. It's a moment of wisdom. It's a moment of clear seeing. One moment. We place one moment of mindfulness and awareness next to another moment of mindfulness and awareness. That's two moments of peace. And so he would, he would just do the math and he would say, if you are aware of what's happening at around one, like one noticing per second, then in a minute, that's 60 moments of peace. And then he would do multiply it out again. If you do that for one minute, it's 60 seconds of peace. You do that for an hour, it's 60 minutes of peace. I don't know. My math this hour in the morning, I'm going to embarrass myself not being able to calculate how many seconds of in an hour, but you know what I mean. <laughs> now, that it's one thing to say all that, it's another thing to actually put that teaching into practice and to taste the outcome, to actually taste the outcome. I know for myself, having done it many times now, it it's just putting this half breath practice to 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 the test, to run the experiment in my own practice, and to see and to feel what Upandita meant about how one moment of awareness is a moment of peace, and to see that feel the momentum of peace that comes through con- the continuity that develops. For me, that brought just an incredible amount of faith in this path. And it wasn't because I believed what Upandita said or what the Buddha said. It's because I did what they, I followed their, their advice and experienced what they said I would experience. which was a piece that I had never experienced before. So the question then becomes, if we come back to the spirit of improvisation, if we're watching one half breath at a time, how do we improvise? And the way, what I want to suggest is that Watching, if you, if, if you think of a musician um, with the chance to improvise some music over a song, the musician might play something for a little while and then be quiet and listen. They might listen for other reactions in the band from the band members. They might take 10 seconds, five seconds or longer and just listen. And then they might come in and say something else. They might make a statement play something more, and then listen again. And so, like I said last week, there's a bit of a call and response experience. There's like, there's doing something and then listening for how that sits and fits in with the whole, and then to do something again, and then to sit back and listen and and perceive what's going on in the whole. And I want to suggest that that's how we try working with this half-breath teaching. When it occurs to you, so when you're practicing now, when it occurs to you, try the half breath. Bring one, bring awareness to one half breath at a time. Do it for maybe one, 
two to maybe five cycles of breath in a relaxed, slight way. And then, then listen, let it go for a while. And then it might occur to you to do that again. It might occur to you to say, you know what? I want to try that walking hands practice again. So then improvise with the walking hands. Maybe move your hands as we'll do. Do that for one, two, or three rounds. Pause the activity and listen. Become receptive. Relax within the receptivity. So it's a little bit like... If you think of the relaxation receptivity as one ball that we can juggle, the no, the half breath etude is one ball we can juggle. The walking hands practice is one ball of you know several different kinds of balls we could bring into the equation. But just these three, practicing juggling might mean picking up one, working with it for a little while, putting it down, picking up another one, working it for a while, maybe working both together. But I want to, I hope you can get a sense of this as, a, as an improvisational experience. That you have freedom to do as little or as much of any tool, any technique that we're that we're speaking to. Okay. So let's come, let's let's come to a sitting now. I'll give a little bit of guidance around things just to review some of the, the specifics. Um, and then I'll give you uh, 20 minutes or so to improvise freely with the suggestions. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed that talk. I hope the reflections uh, support the creativity, the improvisation, and the, the development of your own way of practicing uh, meditation and your own way of opening and revealing the, the, um, the awakened capacities of your heart and mind. And if you like the show, please do consider leaving a review or share with a friend. Either reviewing or sharing is a great way, uh, a very helpful way to supporting our show and our work, and we really appreciate it. Until next time, stay safe, stay strong, keep practicing, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. All my best.